You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Abe Shapiro. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, September 28th, 2022. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Abe Shapiro continues his conversation with attorney Jeremiah Fry Pearson about a lawsuit against the rideshare company Lyft over its alleged lack of wheelchair accessible vehicles or waves. More in today's Disabilitant. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment with host and producer Richard Fish. More following today's feature. But first, your local headlines. On September 22nd, the Bloomington Historic Preservation Commission heard a petition from the Kiln Collective, who resubmitted their petition for approval for the restoration and vertical expansion of the Showers Brothers Furniture Complex. Senior Project Manager Gloria Colombrania introduced the request. So today we are revisiting COA 22-72, in which the Kiln Collective is resubmitting COA 20-13 for the for restoration and vertical expansion. The COA application requests for the renewal of COA 20-13, which expired this year. There is additional clarification. So we saw this project two weeks ago for the people who weren't here. Um, there is additional clarification that the project will be done in two phases. The first phase of the project calls for rehab- the rehabilitation of the first floor with alterations that open windows in the structure as well as provide the core structure for the additional stories to come later. Um, the petitioners have provided renderings. And um, and the second phase, which may or may not take place within the next two years, calls for the construction of additional floors according to the submitted plans. Um, so yes, staff recommends the approval of COA 22-71 to be completed in two phases. Here is some additional information. So I included the information from the last meeting and from what was submitted later on. This is the location on the north corner of the Showers Brothers uh, complex and some imagery of the building as it is now. This is what was originally submitted. I'm going to share this. And this is additional clarification. The proposed redevelopment will occur in two phases. The renovation of the existing historic structure, the creation of a circulation space between the two existing buildings, and the restoration of the existing brick masonry, a new entrance off of the eastern alley will allow, sorry, will allow accessible access to the building. New openings will be created in the powerhouse and the north side of the building. The potential addition of two stories above the existing structure as previously submitted. So that would be the second phase. Petition representative Mike Trotsky explained why they did not finish the renovations that were initially approved within their allotted two-year period. Noting that we 
why we're doing this, right? We obviously had some challenges with cost overruns through the pandemic. We ended up wanting to start this project at the beginning, at literally the very beginning, we were kind of part of the spring of 2020, uh, and obviously things didn't work out, and so we decided to, to take it in these two phases uh, in order to help mitigate those, those concerns. Commission member Sam DeSolar asked about a difference between the old and the new renderings of the building, which show the exterior material with wood originally and brick in the new rendering. Trotsky said that he wasn't sure about that detail and he would have to check with the architect. Commission member Duncan Campbell asked for clarification on what exactly the commission would be approving. Branya responded. They came back for reapproval because their COA expired due to like, um, the passage of time. And so, yes, the COA would be for the entirety of the project um, with a possibility, like more distinct possibility, that it just stay on phase one, which would be the first floor. The commission then revisited DeSolar's concern about the wood-to-brick variation from the original proposal. Commission member Doug Bruce said that he was glad to see the building being approved, but was also in support of keeping the brick from the original rendering. You know, I'm still uh, on board that I'm just glad to see something happen here. Uh, this building we knew was going to take a lot of changes compared to maybe most buildings because its use was completely incompatible with anything that would be occupied by people. You know, uh, the, the drying of lumber is one thing, but this is uh, going to require some changes to make it uh, compatible. Um, and um, so, I, and but Duncan brought up, uh, Duncan and Sam both have brought up some, some really interesting points. The, you know, I could see an approval based on meeting like the, 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 the initial or the other renderings for the phase two down the road with the brick on the back, because I, I hadn't really caught that either. And uh, I, I think that's something that has to be addressed somehow today if, if this is going to be uh, approved. Um, and I'm curious to hear a little bit more about what Duncan's going to say about the second floor and the timelines, because I could see what, what the Kiln Collective is doing is, is that, look, if there's a chance as opposed to coming back here, are we happy with this as a single story? And my thought would be is, do we need more information to have it as this phase one? Because there's a lot of information what it's going to be for phase two. We've already really approved that once before. So if it doesn't change drastically from that, I don't see why we wouldn't approve that again. But pulling out phase one and it may never, the idea that it may never have phase two, does it change it enough that we, we have some different ideas and different comments? The commissioners agreed that they would need updated information from the petitioners on the renderings. DeSolar offered to meet with the petitioners before the next meeting to help. The commission and the petitioners agreed to extend the petitioner's application another 30 days so that the commission could hear the petition again at the next meeting. Their next meeting will be held on October 13th. On the 21st day of September, the Monroe County Commissioners heard from County Council member Jeff McKim about an agreement with the Bloomington Economic Development Commission. McKim said the agreement would enable the commission to provide their services to the county. 
Commission President Julie Thomas said she had reservations about the agreement. Thomas explained that the council normally says they don't have the funds to pay for things she deems as higher priorities. I'm really hesitant because uh, we're often told when we come to council that there isn't money for things that um, we feel the county needs, and that it makes it hard for me to be willing to say, well, sure, let's do this uh, because we're going to come back and, and hear something about how the council cannot afford or Monroe County cannot afford. I also don't like the fact that this is a year-to-year open-ended um, agreement because it says uh, the terms of the agreement through December 31st, 2022, which is fine, but then it says it automatically renews. Um, and granted, it is, it is September now, and I don't think it would be fair to say, give us a report in January, you know, if we do this. So um, the only way I would support this is to do a trial run to see what really changes um, in a year. And I would be okay with moving the expiration date to the end of September 2023 with no renewal unless we, you know, we would have to actively renew it. And that would require, yes, a report. How is this month, you know, how is this focus on Monroe County? Do we feel like we have more of a voice when we're there? You know, I just don't, that's the only way I can support this. And I don't know how my colleagues feel about that. Commission member Penny Giffins explained that she is not against supporting the Bloomington Economic Development Commission. However, she said she would prefer to only commit to a one-year agreement to see if it benefits Monroe County and then decide from there if they would like to continue the partnership. I attend the BDC meetings. Mm -hmm. I am there. I know that they are working hard on a lot of different things that do impact um, Monroe County and and the residents. so I'm 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 not against supporting them, but I feel like we already uh, pay ten thousand dollars for the two memberships that we that we have, um, and so it, yeah, I, I'm much more comfortable with making this a one-time, one-year approval, mm-hmm. um, and then going back to to review what's what's happened. Okay. During public comment. Director of Advocacy and Public Policy at the Bloomington Chamber of Commerce, Chris M.G., said he supported the agreement. I'm here today to support this, uh, this agreement as it currently states. Um, along with the Chamber, the BEDC is an essential component to sustainable growth and quality of place in this community. The BEDC continues to work tirelessly to enable the retention and expansion of industries here. Their team is invaluable in shepherding the recent Catalan expansion that invested $350 million in this community with 1,000 jobs at $32 an hour. Their Kickstart program was fun, fundamentally kickstarted the entrepreneur movement uh, here that cultivated in the Dimension Mill, providing the largest startup ecosystem in the state. Um, the Chamber looks forward to collaborating with them in their economic vitality project. This countywide endeavor will look uh, at our existing efforts and address those gaps in the economic development strategies. While we both have the Bloomington namesake, you must remember Bloomington is Monroe County and Monroe County is Bloomington. BEDC looks to enhance the entire community. Thank you for your time. Thank you. County Council Member Jennifer Crosley also spoke in favor of the agreement during public comment. 
I definitely want to come in and express my support and gratitude to Councillor McKim and Ms. Pearl for their work on this. And I strongly support this and urge for our commissioners to do the same as well. I have previously had a chance to sit on one of the meetings for the BEDC, and I see the work that is vital and necessary that they are doing and would love to continue to work with this. Um, the work of the BEDC is to foster and implement community needs such as better quality of life, housing, and other needs related to the economic development of Bloomington. Um, you know, we've heard today several times uh, and the previous speaker just mentioned, you know, we always hear Monroe County isn't Bloomington um, or not like the city, but in ways we are definitely different. Um, but the needs that we have that I just addressed out or earlier uh, are the same, such as quality of life, housing, um, all of those things are no different than in Monroe County as in Bloomington as well. Um, if some of our constituents, uh, as we are elected officials and leaders of Monroe County, some of our constituents are a part of the city and it makes sense to partner with BEDC. I thank you for your time and I strongly urge you to approve this. The commissioners approved the agreement with the Bloomington Economic Development Commission by a two to nothing vote with Julie Thomas abstaining. The next Monroe County Board of Commissioners meeting has been scheduled for September 28th. Good evening, I'm Abe Shapiro. For those of you just joining the Disabulletin, here's a brief recap on the program's ongoing coverage of Westchester Disabled on the Move versus Lyft. Five years ago, Westchester Disabled on the Move, a disability rights organization headquartered in Westchester, New York, filed a lawsuit against transportation company Lyft. The organization asserted that Lyft was violating the Americans with Disabilities Act by not providing wheelchair-accessible vehicles that accommodate customers with non-foldable wheelchairs. According to an August 22nd report by NBC News, quote, Lyft planned to argue that as a private and not a public company, they're exempt from the Americans with Disabilities Act, according to Title III of the Civil Rights Act, wherein public services may not discriminate against individuals with disabilities. The latest developments in this case saw Lyft and Westchester Disabled on the Move officials appear in a White Plains New York court on August 29th, in which both sides argued whether or not to proceed to a summary judgment. That's legal speak for whether a judge will look over the facts and resolve the issues of the case without the need for a trial. The decision was made for both parties to file papers for or against a summary judgment by October 3rd. Instead of monetary compensation, advocates are asking Lyft to help customers in wheelchairs by allowing drivers to categorize their vehicles as wheelchair accessible, along with asking Lyft to turn off any app blockers preventing riders from selecting the company's accessible ride option an option that is not available in non-access regions. In a September 2nd statement to WFHB News, a Lyft representative said, quote, Lyft has a long-standing commitment to maintaining an inclusive and welcoming community, and we're constantly seeking solutions to address wheelchair-accessible vehicle supply challenges, end quote. 
Over the past three weeks, the Disabulletin has aired portions of an interview with Westchester Disabled on the Move's attorney in the case, Jeremiah Fry Pearson, in which he has provided an overview of the case, along with prior court rulings concerning ride-sharing companies and disabled customers. We turn now to part four of the interview with Fry Pearson. And I'm also curious, too, in that one of the most common arguments that Lyft has used is, uh, according to Title III, Lyft does not have to provide rides as, as you said, it's not in the transportation business and it's not providing public accommodations. Are you aware of any uh, possible instances where Lyft may have accepted public funds, perhaps? And does that factor into it possibly being considered a public entity? I can tell you for a fact that Lyft spends Lyft spends as much money lobbying to get the best deals it can get from government regulators as it spends fighting serving people with disabilities. I, I'm certain that Lyft has received public funds, but I can't give you a specific example of that. But to give you an, a sense of how intense Lyft's lobbying effort is, right before our last court hearing, advocates organized a rally on the front of the courthouse steps where I live in White Plains, New York, in front of the federal courthouse. And we heard from a lot of tremendous people, including Jim Weissman, who helped write the Americans with Disability Act, really powerful religious leaders who put this struggle in the context of the civil rights movement, our mayor, a lot of folks. But it was attended by over a dozen elected officials. One of those elected officials is a powerful state legislator. She went up to me and she told me, you'll never guess what corporation, but the morning of the rally, a certain corporation reached out to her to give her a large campaign donation. Any guesses to what corporation that is? Lyft. They were trying yep. to bribe people who were supporting efforts for them to fight against the ADA. And if you believe that Lyft did that because of the goodness of their own heart or something like that, then you're the type of person who believes that it cost Lyft over $1,500 to provide a wheelchair-accessible vehicle, and Lyft really wants to do it. They just can't. The facts show that that's not true. And so it definitely seems as well, especially in a small uh, area like Westchester County, there is an opportunity for uh, Lyft to expand. And now I understand that this lawsuit has been has been in the court since 2017. And I also understand that one of the primary plaintiffs is, is a woman named Harriet Lowell. Is there the requirement that there be 40 people or did it just have to be specifically one person? For Westchester County, we have to meet the numerosity requirement, which actually some cases hold it's as low as 11, but 40 is the maximum number that you have to have. And I use 40 because it's insane for Lyft to argue that there aren't 40 people in wheelchairs in Westchester County. There were almost that many number on the courthouse step last week asking for Lyft to serve people. Um, it is insane for Lyft to argue that in San Francisco. Uh, as for who started the lawsuit, both Harriet and Westchester Disabled on the Move started it, and both, if an organization can be a hero, then Westchester Disabled on the Move is one of my heroes, and Harriet is certainly one of my heroes. Harriet is an activist who's been in a wheelchair since her 40s. She's given so much of her time to this struggle. She doesn't, she has a good life. Her and her husband are, are fairly well off. And in fact, one of Lyft's many insulting arguments is that people with disabilities are too poor to afford a Lyft. When the average Lyft ride costs $15, certainly there are too many people in this country who live in poverty. The idea that 
almost every single person with disabilities can't ever afford to take a $15 ride um, is insulting. Lyft has deposed, which means question under oath, for a long time, both Harriet and her husband in great detail, asking about absurd things. One of Harriet's stories is Harriet gets around in her husband's wheelchair-accessible vehicle. That means when Harriet's husband is in the hospital, she couldn't go visit him on days where there wasn't transportation available. And Lyft's lawyers had the I mean, they get paid money, but this was a line of questioning that troubled me. They both questioned Harriet and her husband about specific times when Harriet wanted to visit her husband in the hospital. And there was something, I'm going to misremember the details because everyone will misremember the details. <laughs> there was some, something like three years ago, Neil was in the hospital and Harriet couldn't get to him. And they asked both of them separately when that was. And one of them said July and the other one said August. Uh, this, we're talking like three years ago. Oh, yes. It's like, you're lying. And it's like, I'm pretty sure they're not lying about Neil being in the hospital. Pretty sure they don't remember the exact date, as they both said. And you're really grasping at straws if this is how you attack people with disabilities. Um, Westchester Disabled on the Move, sorry, let me pronounce it more clearly. Westchester Disabled on the Move is another one of my heroes. Um, Maria Samuels is the executive director, Mel Tansman, the prior executive director. What Westchester Disabled on the Move does is it advocates for people with disabilities. It's an organization that staffs, run, and serves people with disabilities. And so Westchester Disabled on the Move actually went to Lyft before we filed the lawsuit repeatedly and said, hey, you guys want to expand in New York State, you have to serve people in wheelchairs. And Lyft said no. And so Westchester Disabled on the Move did what people do when a company says that it wants to discriminate, they filed a lawsuit. And it's my great honor to represent Harriet and Westchester Disabled on the Move. And we've actually had over 240 people submit testimony in support of our case. Uh, one of the ways that we're going to beat the argument that uh, Lyft won in San Francisco, that there aren't enough people, is we went around and we got testimony from wheelchair users. Say what you want. Uh, okay, fine, Judge. You didn't believe there were 40 in San Francisco. Well, we got 240. So... We just have their testimony, so count. Um, that's how we're getting around numerosity. But Lyft has deposed close to 30 people with disabilities, meaning they've made people with disabilities take time out of their day to testify, and then Lyft grills them. In its, in its latest filing, Lyft argues that some of the people who submitted testimonies to need Lyft, that they need a wheelchair-accessible vehicle. They don't really need a wheelchair-accessible vehicle because one of them testified that with extreme pain and in an emergency, she can testify, she can transfer to a non-wheelchair-accessible vehicle. And so Liz's like, well, she doesn't need a wheelchair-accessible vehicle. She could ride in an unaccessible vehicle. And that's true, but think about how gross that is, right? No oh, yes. restaurant would say, you know, with extreme pain, someone can get up out of a wheelchair and, crawl up the steps so we're not going to put in a ramp. But Lyft is reduced to making these attacks on people with disabilities because it can't defend the way it operates. Up next, we have Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on the WFHB Local News. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more.
Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. I got an email that appeared to come from a friend. Let's call him Bob Smith. It said, How are you doing? Let me know if you'll receive my message. I need a little favor from you, awaiting your response. Regards. Well, that didn't sound like Bob's style, and favor was spelled F-A-V-O-U-R. That's the British spelling. But Bob's as American as I am. Besides, it wasn't his email address. So I decided to play along. I am doing quite a bit these days, but glad to help you if I can. What's up? Sorry for bothering you with this email. I need to get an Apple gift gift card for my friend who is down with cancer of the liver. Gift cards? Oh, and a Apple gift gift card? Yeah, right. It's her birthday today, and I promised to make her happy with this, but I can't do it now because I'm currently traveling, and I tried purchasing online, but unfortunately no luck with that. Can you please get it from any store around you? I'll refund you upon my arrival. Kindly let me know if you can handle this. Awaiting your response. I'll pick them up and email you when I get back. And after a while... All you need to get is two Apple gift cards of $100 each from any store or supermarket around you. As soon as you purchase the cards, I need you to scratch the surface to review the e-code, then snap the cards and have it sent directly to me here via email so I can forward it to her. Of course I didn't go get any gift cards. These emails from the fake Bob are full of weird capitalization and punctuation. So I waited a while, and then I sent, I got the gift cards. It was kind of a lot of money for me, but I know you're good for it. I'd really rather give them to you in person. Let me know where you are, and I'll come see you. I had to wait 24 hours before I finally got... You can easily type out the code here... I figured he was finally getting suspicious, so I decided to just end this thing. You're not very good at this, and you are remarkably unlucky. There were at least eight flaws in your first email which gave you away as a scammer, and you don't know what they are. There are millions of people in the state where I live, and out of all those you had to pick me. I'm a reporter, an award-winning journalist who has reported on scams and swindles for many years. Now that I have enough emails from you, I'll be sending them to the right places in the U.S. government and Interpol. They have become very good at tracing email back to its source, with enough examples, even if you're using a VPN. I will also tell the entire story to the public in my regular broadcast. It won't be new to the people in my area. They will laugh at you. I hope you will continue using that list you bought, and other thieves like you will continue trying to fool me. That will speed the day when they come to arrest you and take away everything you have in this world. Very, very sincerely yours. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break.
Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems, encouraging independence and individual responsibility. More information online at www.mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noelle Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Abe Shapiro. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Abe Shapiro. Live and learn. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Cool Solutions climate action from the bottom up coming up next on W.